0: Good evening everybody, Uh, my name is Dave Snoke, I'm one of the elders here, and uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series on 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians 10 uh, came up uh, for this week when I was scheduled to preach, and um, I have to say I didn't arrange this or specify this, so you know I love ideas, but I'm going to talk about ideas, Uh, but I didn't make it happen on purpose, it just was the text assigned to me. Uh, but um, if you um, look in your bulletins, this is printed on page six. Uh, I believe we also have some pew Bibles. Uh, so this is in the middle of uh, Paul's, uh, the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, uh, starting in chapter ten. I'll read the first six verses. I, Paul, myself, entreat you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. This is the word of the Lord. So, as I said, this comes in the middle uh, of a lengthy letter by uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, And the context of this, just to give you a little background, you can see it in the first few verses uh, of what he's talking about. Uh, There's conflict going on, and there's a lot of different conflicts going on that Paul addresses uh, in his letter. But at this point, he's dealing specifically with people who are undermining his own authority. So, one of the things which was uh, one of the battles that Paul is fighting is that uh, although he had played an important role in the founding of the church, uh, when uh, he left and he's uh, now away, there's new teachers who've come along and they're saying, well, Paul, you know, he's doesn't really, he's not really such a big authority uh, and, uh, you know, we have… Uh, much more to tell you and they were contradicting some of the things that Paul was saying Uh, and part of that Paul actually refers to here in the uh, first uh, sentence there in the first verse there's sort of what seems to be a quote of other what other people say about him saying well I am humble when face to face with you but bold towards you when I'm away he seems to be quoting what other people are saying about him and it probably was true that uh, Paul was not a, a fiery orator Uh, There was, in that day, as in many generations, including in our own country, uh, in a lot of places, a tradition of the great orator, you know, the person who just pounds the pulpit and blows you away with their speaking and so on. Uh, And uh, that was true in the uh, ancient Greek and Roman days. People would actually pay money to hear someone give the latest opinion, and they would be very powerful in their uh, speaking. And uh, Paul apparently wasn't particularly that way. Uh, But he's actually, he's not admitting this charge, of course, at all. He's actually saying, uh, I am going to be bold toward you when I come. So it may not be in the volume of his voice, but in fact, he had apostolic authority and he he stood on that. Um, But in the midst of this, as he's dealing with this conflict, uh, he goes on uh, to talk about uh, the the verses that are sort of the key part of what I want to focus in on. Uh, He says, though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, at one level, he's saying this in response to these other people. He's saying, my preaching is not in the flesh. I am speaking with divine authority. Uh, He's not doing it merely in the power of a really good emotional speech, uh, and so on. Uh, But he's actually making a more general point here uh, which it really applies to us today, and not just for the conflict uh, that he 's dealing with, uh, which is uh, he 's talking about a type of war uh, that he is involved in waging, and so that 's point number one there 's an outline in the bulletin if you 're following along with that, uh, but my first point about the passage is simply that from paul 's perspective, we are in a war, uh, and, and maybe you 've never thought about that I, I was sort of ask you to think about this. Do you think of yourself as a Christian as being in the middle of a war? Now, in our day, uh, it might be easy to say, oh yeah, we're in the middle of a culture war uh, and there's all this power politics going on and so on, uh, but that's sort of specific to our day. It's not completely unrelated to what Paul is talking about, uh, but Paul is not talking about power politics in the Roman Empire, and getting a lot of people together to put in a particular general or a senator or something like that. Uh, He's talking about uh, what oftentimes we call spiritual warfare, uh, that there's a deeper uh, kind of war that's going on. Uh, But I would would ask you, actually, as Christians, do you see yourself as in a war? Or do you see yourself as in peacetime? In in practice, I would say a lot of us Christians, uh, including myself, we really don't want to be at war. We want to just have everything go smoothly and just have everything be nice uh, and not be engaged uh, in any kind of war. Uh, And yet, uh, the Scripture says we are involved in a spiritual warfare uh, against spiritual powers. Uh, And um, it is something that we really don't have the option to opt out of. Uh, we're in the middle of a war for the long haul. Uh, And so let me just give you a few sort of war stories, war analogies, uh, and uh, using borrowed material to some degree, I remember hearing a preacher uh, many, many years ago talking about, say, the D-Day invasion. And you think about the soldiers who we all admire these days who landed on the beaches. Many of them were killed on the spot. Uh, Many of them went on. For months, saw friends killed and so on. Uh, do you think any of them preferred that as like their, the best thing that they wanted to do? Like that was their ideal life? Well, clearly not, right? Well, why did they do it then? Well, because they knew they were in a war. They knew that they were <clears throat> involved in a battle and they said, I'm going to step up, I'm going to do what needs to be done because there in fact is a war and I'm going to step up and do my part. Uh, and so... Um, It's it's on one hand, you could say, well, it is legitimate for us to not to want to be uh, wearied out, to be uh, completely exhausted all the time. And so we have a legitimate desire for rest. Uh, And you can think about that with those soldiers. Those soldiers were not in the pitch of battle year after year, 24-7, right? They got times of rest. So the soldiers in World War II would be, they'd get leave, they would get sent out, Uh, they have time off. If they had been in battle a long time, the generals would rotate out some troops and rotate other troops in so that one troop wasn't completely exhausted. Uh, But all of their rest took place in the context of knowing that they're in a war. Uh, In the same way, I would say as Christians, when I say we're in a war, I don't wanna put before you the idea that you need to like wear yourself out and be completely exhausted all the time. But, on the other hand, our rest comes in the context of we are in a war. uh, And you are doing whatever rest you need to sustain yourself for the long haul, for the long haul war that you're in. Uh, And so we need to see ourselves in that, as Paul does. So, just sort of moving on then to point number two, uh, you might legitimately ask, um, well, is this our war? Paul is talking about himself here, and he uses a we And you might take that we as referring to the apostles uh, and the other people that worked alongside Paul. And so you might say, well, you know, that's great for Paul. Uh, That's his war, but that's not mine. Uh, I'm somebody who's sort of a backbencher. Uh, And uh, in our day, we might say, well, instead of just talking about Paul, the apostle, we might say, well, there are the professionals in the church, the people who are, you know, sort of the paid leaders of the church, Uh, the volunteers, and so on, Um, and those are the ones who are really fighting the war, Uh, and my job is just sort of, you know, cheer them on. Uh, Well, that's actually not the way Paul talks. If you look at the rest of Paul's letters, uh, it's pretty clear that's not the way he's thinking. Uh, In your additional scripture on page 7, I put Ephesians chapter 4. It's a passage that we often quote in this church, and he gave the apostles, including uh, Paul, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the the, stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Now, there's a lot there in that verse. I'm just gonna sort of focus on the beginning and the end. First of all, it says that the leader's job is to equip the saints uh, to do the fight, all right? Uh, It's not just the leaders who carry on the war, uh, but their job is to prepare. And so again, if you think of the war analogy, the generals uh, aren't always out there in the front lines but they are supposed to be able to teach the soldiers how to be good fighters, right? So the leaders are training up the soldiers to be a good fighting team. Uh, And the last part of that, again, notice how similar it is to the passage that we read in 2 Corinthians, where he talks about what the war is like. People being tossed to and fro by waves of doctrines, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. (coughs) So uh, there are Uh, It's a war of ideas, you could say, and I'm going to come back to that. But before I move to that, let me just say in both of these passages, one of the things you see is that the church is engaged in an offensive war. It's not a defensive war, although sometimes there's that also. Uh, But if you think about uh, Jesus' words, uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, If you think about that for just a second, a gate... Uh, is a defensive weapon. Who's got the gate? Is it is it the the hell that's taking gates and charging at people, attacking them with gates? No, it's the church battering down the gates of hell, right? The church is on the offense, knocking down the gates of hell, which is on the defense. In the same way, in the passage that we have in front of us, um, Paul says that we are taking captive uh, ideas, and we are destroying arguments. and And so, the picture that Paul has here of warfare is that of an offensive war. If you look at these phrases here, he's talking about the weapons that we fight with. He's talking about taking captives. He's talking about strongholds that we're destroying. Their gates are falling down and we're destroying their strongholds. Uh, so it's not, again, the picture of we're hunkered down kind of just trying to hold out against this onslaught, but rather the churches on the march in the war Uh, and battering down the strongholds and taking captives on the other side. That's the picture of warfare uh, that Paul is giving us here uh, and as Jesus gave us uh, as well. So let me then ask uh, sort of the the central question, how do we fight? What kind of war uh, are we talking about? Well, Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Uh, what is he talking about there? Um, now, I think he's not saying that Christians can never join a real army uh, or be part of the police or anything like that. Um, I think there is a time and place for that, but Paul is saying, is in, in a way, that's not the real war. You know, that's, that's sort of a, you know, one of the things that's going on, but the real war is something else. And if you look at the phrases he uses here, Uh, Every one of these phrases is about ideas. And so I would argue that he's saying this war is happening in the realm of ideas and thoughts, our thought life. Uh, So he says, if you look at this here, he says, we destroy what? Arguments. We destroy, he says, lofty opinions. What's an opinion? It's another type of knowledge, right? We're We're destroying opinions that are raised against what? The knowledge of God. Okay, what are the captives? We're, we're we're taking captives. Who are our captives? Thoughts, he says. We're taking every thought uh, captive. Uh, and again, if you go back and look at the Ephesians four one that I quoted uh, earlier, he says um, we are not to be carried about by the winds of what doctrine, uh, by human cunning, i.e., arguments uh, and deceitful schemes, but rather he says speaking the truth, that's ideas again, uh, in love, we are to grow up into him. And so you just can't miss how much the apostle focuses in on ideas and the importance of ideas. Uh, And I also put in additional scriptures, uh, Romans 12, where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. So all of this stuff is talking about ideas, your mind, your thinking, Uh, and so on and so forth. Now, at one level, I'm sure some of you are thinking, yeah, well, Dave's a professor, he lives in the world of ideas, it's easy for him to say, right? Okay, so I'm kind of playing to my strengths here, saying, you know, you all need to think good ideas, uh, and need to, you know, uh, know, think about Christianity more from uh, that mental aspect. Um, But I'm not gonna be apologetic about that. The fact is not everybody is called to be an intellectual, but Christianity is not supposed to be anti-intellectual. And if you go back to centuries in the past, you look at people like Augustine, we read through Augustine's confessions in our community group, Um, amazingly good arguments. And not ones that were so obscure that nobody could figure them out, but just like really good arguments. If you read the confessions today, you could read that and you'd say, wow, this is just really relatable. These are good arguments. Uh, and again, you could go to uh, Patrick, uh, the famous St. Patrick who went to Ireland. Uh, he lived, again, he curated ideas. He got not only the Bible to be translated, but he accumulated books from all over Europe and put them in the libraries and the monasteries in Ireland. And some of you have read that book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, because he thought the life of the mind was really important, and he got uh, the monasteries in Ireland to collect books at a time when Rome was collapsing. And people were just burning books and burning uh, libraries. Uh, You go forward to the Reformation. Again, a a war of ideas. People saying the gospel means this. It doesn't mean that. Uh, And so there was really people thinking uh, deeply about this. And so the idea of Christianity being anti-intellectual, which is kind of a stereotype in our day, is not a biblical one. Paul is saying he's concerned about the world of ideas. He's concerned about our thinking And he's saying we should be transformed by how our minds think. Uh, Now, I don't mean that everybody has to, you know, start writing scholarly articles about theology. Um, But I'll give you just a few things that I think it does mean. Uh, One is to study God's Word, to actually read the Bible, uh, and to study it for the purpose of understanding it. Not just, you know, sort of turn the pages and read it rotely but to to read for understanding, and that's involving your mind, okay? Um, Another is to read Christian books. Uh, We've got a library over there. Not everybody knows. The church has a library. There's a library there. Uh, You can get books online uh, fairly cheaply. If you don't know good books to read, ask people around you. They'll recommend good books to you. Uh, But we often see the wisdom of the church for our day uh, in these Christian books. Uh, It's exercising our mind. And lastly, I would say actually just cultivate the practice of meditation. Like, think about stuff. Uh, you know, like if you read something in the Bible, think, how does, how does that work? Does it make sense? Do I understand these things? Uh, and how does that work out? Uh, these are all uh, things that you could say is the life of the mind. And you may not consider yourself to be someone really oriented around ideas, but um, the Bible treats us as whole people. It has a holistic approach, and so on the one hand, we might have some people who live a sedentary life and neglect their bodies and live only in the world of ideas, and we would all say, well, that's not very healthy. Uh, You need to get exercise. You need to take care of yourself, but it's equally unhealthy, especially as a Christian, to neglect your mind. You are a person with a mind. If you're a human, you have a mind, and God calls you to use that mind to think about the things that he has told us in his word. Uh, And so, um, uh, again, I just want to say, as much as we may be in the middle of cultural battles and things like that, the war that Paul is talking about is primarily about what we might call worldview, about how do you see the world? Do you see the world from God's perspective? Or are you buying into all the things that come down the pike? uh, And to go out in the world today, you know, without having any life of the mind, and you just turn on the internet, and you click on one thing, you get like six attacks on Christianity, right? So, it's like going out defenseless uh, if you don't have a knowledge of God's Word and a knowledge of what the church has uh, said and done uh, in regard to that. Now, I'm just going to finish with, um, well, I've got, I've got one main finishing point, and then I've got a kind of, a, of an add-on one at the end. Uh, the balance to this Uh, we see both in the passage uh, that's in front of us as well as in the Ephesians one. So Paul says, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And then in the Ephesians passage I read, uh, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up uh, in every way. Uh, So everything I've said up to this point Uh, There's a danger in it, and uh, if you've been around Presbyterian churches long enough, you know of this danger, which is that there will be some young person, usually a young man, sometimes not so young, who will say, this is a perfect justification for being argumentative, right? And so uh, the take-home message is that I should argue with people about theology all the time, right? Uh, Don't hear that, (laughs) okay? Uh, That's not what I'm saying. There is a place for debate uh, and making logical and rational arguments and so on, but Paul is not uh, primarily here talking about somebody who just always has to be right, somebody who is argumentative and just sort of proving obscure points. Uh, Paul wants us to major on the majors and minor on the minors, uh, and um, uh, Pastor Matt this morning uh, quoted me, actually, but actually <clears throat> that's a stolen quote because I stole it from George Verware. Um, who was a very famous missionary in the past uh, century uh, who uh, founded a group called Operation Mobilization, if you know what that group is. Uh, but yeah, he said, he's heard of people and people say about that, oh, that person's really good on doctrine, but he's not very loving. And his response is, no, you mean his, he's not very good on doctrine, because the doctrine of the Bible is to love. And if you get that one right, it's like trying, it's like someone saying, well, he's really good at physics, but he can't work any of the problems. Like, you know, the application is to love, and so if you can't actually do any of the applications, not only are you not loving, but your theology is flawed, because it's allowed you to deprioritize something that the Bible puts as a top priority. Uh, And so, uh, in everything that we see in the Bible, it never says you get to just blast people. Uh, It says that you speak the truth in love, uh, and that you, as Paul says here, entreat people uh, with the meekness and gentleness of Christ uh, and as uh, Pastor Matt talked about this morning uh, with, uh, with the humility of Christ. So um, there's a couple of way- things that that looks like. One is uh, it, you know the Bible often uses the word wisdom. One way to view it is to ask yourself where and when can I put in a word to challenge this person in a way that will actually help them see the truth. So it's not just, can I win an argument? As a matter of fact, it shouldn't be, can I win an argument? It should be, what truth does this person in front of me need to hear right now? Uh, That sometimes can be confrontational, not always. It sometimes might be a hard truth. It might be something they don't want to hear. And in that case, you have to say a hard truth. Um, But it's motivated not by saying, let me win arguments, but it's by saying, I know this person, I love this person, they need to hear a particular truth. What does this, what will truth will actually impact this person right now? Uh, and that's how you speak the truth in love. You're thinking what that person actually needs to hear. But as, uh, as Paul says, uh, it often does require firmness. Uh, oftentimes people avoid the life of the mind because they feel like it just leads to arguments and they don't like any kind of conflict. And the fact is, when you engage in the world of ideas, there are times when somebody says, well, that's wrong, and you say, well, no, it's right for this reason, and you go back and forth and you're in a argument. Uh, Well, there's a way to argue in a way that's not destructive to other people, but there still is a certain amount of tension in it being uncomfortable that you're disagreeing with each other. Uh, And this is where, uh, again, we follow really both Christ uh, and Paul and many, many church leaders ever since. Uh, If you think about Jesus uh, talking to the Pharisees in the passage that we read this morning, he is not, you know, non-confrontational with the Pharisees. He's quite confrontational with them Uh, in the same way Paul here is confronting. He's saying we are destroying arguments and we're taking uh, thoughts captive. Uh, And yet, in a way, uh, which is meant to be loving, which is meant to correct, uh, but love is never wishy-washy. Love sometimes says, this person needs to hear this truth uh, and stands on the authority of God's Word. Uh, Now, for Paul, because he was receiving revelation from God as an apostle, he could stand on his own words and say, thus saith the Lord. We stand on the authority of Scripture, including what Paul wrote, uh, and so we can say, Thus saith the Lord, it's not just me being mad at you, but I'm saying there is a truth here uh, that you need to hear. Uh, So, let me just finish up with this last verse that Paul uh, says. It's a little bit mysterious here. Uh, He's talking about this uh, war of ideas, so to speak, and then he says, we are ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Uh, What does that mean? So, Maybe you have this idea, so if you know the story of like Ananias and Sapphira, uh, there was people who came to the apostle Peter, lied to him and God struck them dead. And so um, you may, maybe you have this idea that like um, Paul is saying, well, I'm gonna come and sort of like in the Empire Strikes Back, I'm gonna like have bolts of lightning come out of my hands and zap the people who are in disagreement with me. Maybe it's just me, I don't know, you never thought that. I have that mental image. Um, He says, well, Paul is going to come and he's going to uh, punish every disobedience. Um, Just to give you a little history note, the church, Catholic, Orthodox, whatever, never used physical punishments for at least the first thousand years. Okay, that was a later thing when the uh, Inquisition came along. And even then, they kind of worked it out so it would look like the state that was doing it. Uh, Paul's not talking about Uh, we're going to tie up the heretics to a post and beat them or something like that, or I'm going to do like a a, a miracle power play and zap people. Uh, He's talking about church discipline here. Uh, And he's basically standing on the authority of the church and his own authority as an apostle uh, and saying that he has the right to put people out of the church uh, for false teaching. Uh, And uh, that is something that the church has stood on uh, for the last 2,000 years. And... um, It really is, again, not based on us saying we just want to have a power play, but rather it's based on our confidence uh, that when we know what the Lord has taught in His Word, that we don't have fear of people. And so throughout the generations, hundreds of years, Christians have had the courage sometimes to go to a king and say, you are in sin, Uh, and even though you're the king and I'm not and you can have me put to death, Nevertheless, I stand on God's word, and I'm telling you, uh, you are in sin. Uh, and so Paul is talking about not having fear of man, being willing to say this person is put out of the church because of their false teaching, because of whatever it is that they are uh, propagating, uh, and that, again, it's not just he as an apostle has this authority, but this is a delegated authority uh, given to the uh, church. Now, a whole other sermon could be preached on the idea of church discipline, Uh, what that looks like, how does one go about that, why would you ever do that. It's not just talking about, oh, somebody made a simple error in their theology, so out they go. We're just kicking them out. Uh, It doesn't work that way. Uh, But Paul does say there is a bottom line that those who are completely rebellious uh, in their false teaching can be put out of the church. Um, So uh, I will be doing the Q&A after the service. If you have more questions about that, uh, we uh, we can talk about that there. Uh, but I want to just uh, leave you again with this um, basic picture that Paul has that, first of all, you're in a war whether or not you want, want to be, uh, and we are called to take up the weapons that God has given us, uh, and a whole other sermon could be preached on Paul's image of the armor of God, the word of the Lord being the sword, and, and so on. There's a whole passage about the armor and so on, uh, but we can't miss but a big part of that war is about our thought life, uh, whether we really let God's Word soak into us, whether we're really thinking about it, uh, whether we're letting it influence the way we do things, the way we see things, the way we talk to other people, and so on. Uh, that may feel tiring. Uh, the, the work of the mind is work. It's hard. Uh, and sometimes we're called to take a break. We're, ta- we're called to take a rest. We're not talking about unending you know, grueling uh, work of the mind constantly. Uh, And yet, there is a call to, as I'll I'll finish with this, to take every thought captive to obey Christ uh, and to destroy every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of Christ. So, let me close this in prayer.